Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. And I'm free! Free, free fallen. Fallen. That's it. <laughs> I don't know any words. I just know that isn't it that scene from uh, Jerry Maguire? Oh yeah, I think I think so. And I, I know that he also goes, and I'm free, free falling. So he has <laughs> a lot of variation in the how long he holds up that free. Uh, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to an episode of the Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And we're continuing reviewing and talking and breaking down all of the Commander 2016 pre-constructed decks in today's episode. Today we are going to cover Kineos and Tiro of Miletus, or Miletus, or Miletus. Who knows? Um, I'm sure that one's actually been decided somewhere. Uh, and yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure it's Miletus. Miletus? I like Miletus. Um, so we have done two of the decks so far on the channel. You can check out those episodes on our YouTube channel or on the RSS podcast, and we're going to cover all five of them. But before we get into it, we should let you guys know that this show is sponsored by Card Kingdom, and that's where you're going to want to buy these pre-constructed decks if you want to play with them, because they are a bunch of fun, and we actually played through all of them. Yeah, we did play all of them. Also, we're talking about a bunch of cards in the previous two episodes, and this one and the next two, um, that you might want to add to these decks as a way to sort of quickly upgrade them, and Card Kingdom is a great place maybe the greatest place to get your magic singles. They get them to you faster and in better condition than anybody else. Make sure you use the affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash command zone, so that they know we're the ones that sent you. And we can't recommend it highly enough. Like, seriously, like, you're not going to have a bad experience when you order through Card Kingdom, and I have yet to see anyone have, like, anything even close to negative. It's just been through the roof praise for them so thank you card kingdom for being an awesome sponsor we're happy to be working with you guys all right let's move on to the 2016 pre-con deck review so like josh said the purpose of the episode uh we're talking about a quick upgrade to the pre-constructed deck not a complete overhaul so we're going to talk about who we think you should run as your general because you have a few choices and some cards that you can add in and take out uh and we're trying to keep in general also the price not to be super expensive because we could say hey put sensei's top in every single pre-con but that wouldn't be budget-friendly. Also, it would get kind of boring. <laughs> boring. It would just get kind of long. Uh, <laughs> and we actually did get to play through all of these decks. So, Josh, you... Uh, well, we released something really special last week. By the way, you guys should all check it out. We sat down with our friends Josh Kim and Craig Blanchett, and we played all of the pre-con decks against each other out of the box. And, Josh, you actually got paired with this deck first. Yeah, this was the first... Well, I, I picked it. Um, I got the second pick. You got the first, and you took a Traxa. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to try this deck out. Uh, I think Craig played it in the second game, so we saw uh, a couple different renditions. I actually used Kanaios and Tiro as the uh, general. Craig used a couple of partners. 
but we got a good taste for how the deck works, uh, when it wants to do, you know, how good it is. Uh, we got that with all of the pre-con decks, actually. You know, something we should talk about really quick before we dive into this little upgrade session is how fun it is to just play these decks straight out of the box against each other. Yeah, they. so that's how they were play-tested, right? When we talked to Glenn Jones uh, at PAX this year, I believe, he was talking about testing these against each other and playing them against each other. And they're balanced, actually, to play against each other in ascending just out of the box, leave all the cards, and immediately get to work with them. So that was actually kind of exciting because we got to see maybe what Wizards had thought of or, or had seen themselves when they had tested these decks against each other back at headquarters. Yeah, and, and these definitely played re extremely well in that environment of, of pre-cons against pre-cons. Uh, it was super, super fun. I thought all the decks, you know, were pretty fair and balanced. I mean, I think the Atraxa deck was maybe a little better than the rest, or maybe Brea was up there too, but it wasn't like w you couldn't play some of the decks. You know, they're all very good. They all do stuff that they all feel like, oh my gosh, I can do this, cr this powerful thing. Um, and actually part of that fun... I guess we kind of we rolled over it, but yeah, the video that we released is called Out of the Box, and if you go to our YouTube channel, you can see, you know, a lot of people have asked us over the years to do gameplay videos or show some videos of us playing, and this was our sort of take on that format. It was the first time delving into it, and there's some things I would change, definitely, but I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I agree, and I I only have seen up to this point when recording this podcast half of it, and I was stoked. I like I stood up afterwards, Josh. I don't know if I told you this, and I was just like, dude, that was sweet. I've never seen <laughs> content like this. I can't wait for everyone to see it. So if you haven't seen it already, it's on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. Okay, a brief aside though, before we get into this deck, as if we don't have any, enough asides on this show, uh, Kaneos and Tiro are actually Magic's sort of first openly gay lovers on a card. And it's cool because it's like we've seen Pia and Kieran Nalar, which are the father and mother of uh, Chandra, but Kaneos and Tiro are also lovers. And I wanted to say because this is a game where we have a lot of politics involved, right, Josh? Uh, yep. And recently, politics has had everyone in a tizzy, and there's been a lot of separation, I think, of just sort of ideological beliefs, and people are arguing left and right. Uh, recently, William Huey Jensen, who's one of the most uh, famous sort of magic players, one of the highest respected magic players out there as a pro, uh, came out as gay, and, and with a message specifically saying, hey guys, like, we need to be united here. And uh, I thought it would be nice to bring that up before we delve into the politics of this deck, because this deck is a group hug deck in a way, and it's interesting how it plays, and we'll be talking a lot about that. But hey, guys, get along with each other. We play this game to bring ourselves together, not to split, split ourselves apart. Yeah, I think it's something really great that Wizards does. You know, there's transgender characters. Um, there's they, they worry about, you know, racially diverse characters, and... You know, it's they're not perfect, and and there's definitely been complaints, but they're they're definitely like pushing farther in that direction than most gaming companies are, and I think that's something to be applauded. So yeah, yeah, we won't we won't go on too much about it, but I, I think it's a great thing. Um, all right, let's talk about the deck. All right, so this deck is called Stalwart Unity. It is Kaneo Sintero. It is the blacklist deck, so it has every color but black. The legendary cards, we're going to go through them one by one. First off, the lead singers of the deck would be Kaneo and Tier of Miletus. Uh, they are every color but black, just four mana total for a human soldier, 2-8. <laughs> so I guess individually they're both 1-4s. Um, at the beginning of your end step, draw a card. Each player may put a land card from their hand onto the battlefield. Then each opponent who didn't draws a card. 
So we've talked about this card a little bit already. Um, essentially, you potentially could get two cards out of this. You could draw a card and put a land onto the battlefield. However, each opponent that doesn't do that also draws a card. So they can put a land in their hand or they can draw a card. So you could get two cards out of this. Your opponents only get one at most. Yeah, I actually got uh, this card out onto the battlefield in, when we were playing the uh, pre-cons against each other. And I got to say, I was pretty underwhelmed. Um, it didn't feel like I got much of an advantage. I mean, even though I was like, I drew a card and I put a land into play, and pretty much my opponents always said, okay, I'll draw a card. And it didn't feel like they were, like, losing when they did that. Like, they were only getting half of it. It felt like they were getting, like, three quarters of it. Um, and then, yeah. of course, there were some times where I didn't have a land, in which case I couldn't take advantage of both sides. And then it was just completely equal. Uh, the w Actually, the surprisingly, one of the best things about the card is that they're a 2-8. So at turn four, you can just basically block anything. Yeah, that's true. You do block pretty much anything. Um, I think the other problem was that by turn four, if you have four lands in your opening hand, by turn four, you're not, you don't want to have drawn that many lands, right? Right. <laughs> and you're, you're trying to play one land a turn. So at that point, it's kind of hard to balance out like, oh, well, you know, like as an opponent, I'm just going to draw a card each time because I've already played the lands out of my hand. So I guess thank you, Kaneo, for having given me an extra a draw step. Yeah, it might be a thing, too, where uh, we may talk about this later, but just running more lands in the deck may be important, in, you know, if you're going to run Kaneos right. and, and Tiro as the sort of front men of your deck because you want to do both of the things. You really need to do draw the card and put the land into play. Uh, if you only do one, then you're just really straight up even with all your opponents. Like, your, your commander isn't even giving you any advantage. Yeah. All right, the next legendary is Sadar Kondo of Jamura. He's two green and a white for a human knight, 2-5. Flanking, haven't seen this in a while. Whenever a creature without flanking blocks this creature, the blocking creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. And creatures your opponent control without flying or reach can't block creatures with power two or less. And he also has partners, so you can put him with another commander that says partner on them. Uh, definitely the main text here is that creatures your opponents control without flying or reach can't block creatures with power two or less. This affects every single creature on the board. So this seems like a pretty powerful card in general. Yeah, um, Craig got this out in one of our games, again, when we were playing the pre-cons against each other. Again, it was kind of underwhelming. Now, I don't know that the deck is built to make a whole bunch of tokens. It feels like that's kind of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's, inter it's interesting. I don't, I'm not sure if we realized this while we were playing that it affected all your opponent's stuff when they're attacking each other, actually. Yeah, I don't think we did either. Uh, and it may have changed some things. Who knows? Maybe we can go back and review the footage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. So the next legendary creature is Ludovic, Necro Alchemist. Costs one blue red for a human wizard, a 1-4. At the beginning of each player's end step, that player may draw a card if a player other than you lost life this turn. And, of course, it has a partner. Oh, so interesting. So each player gets to draw cards if they another card player has been dealt damage, uh, other than you. So it, it, it makes other people kind of want to do the Edric thing, which is look at each other, damage each other, and even if they ping them for one life or whatever, they get to draw a card, which is, I guess, neat. Yeah, but it doesn't, you know, it's worded in a specific way where you could actually, they could damage you, they just have to damage somebody else also. Right, right. There's nothing that says they yeah. can't damage you. <laughs> Right, so it's not as good as Edric. Well, I guess Edric doesn't say they can't damage you either. It's just that they get nothing for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is... You know, I'm thinking about I, I'm thinking about adding this to my Tim deck. 
Oh, interesting. I mean, you're. It'll be great because you can just start pinging and drawing lots well, of cards, yeah, and- right? You can always you can always do it at least once, right? Because you don't need to like it doesn't say combat damage, so yeah. And you can make a deal saying like, "Hey, Craig, you're about to pass your turn. I'll ping someone can... for you if you you know do this for me. I'll give you an extra card." Yeah, exactly. I kind I kind of like it. So anyway, that's a thought. Yeah. All right. And the last legendary card that is new is Crown Ludovic's Opus. So this is Ludovic's, I guess, his creation, his greatest creation. Three blue, red for a zombie horror. That is a 4-4 with flying and haste. Whenever an opponent casts his or her second spell each turn, draw a card. And this card also has partner on it. I don't know if we actually saw this on the battlefield. Maybe Craig did have it out there. This card <laughs> did not do anything either uh, when we played with the pre-cons. Um, it was interesting because there was a lot of draw go later on. And also there was a lot of draw. Play my 7 drop, pass turn. Yeah, I... Uh... It's probably not going to be good in the in the format where the precons are because those decks aren't super highly tuned. I can see it being better in a, a environment with a lot more well tuned decks because those decks tend to get to the point where they're casting two or more spells per turn. Yeah. Um, even then, I don't love it just because it costs five, and then your opponents can if they don't want you to have it. It's pretty easy to play one spell per turn and not feel like oh my gosh, I got really set behind. You know what I mean? Yeah, very rarely am I playing a game where I never want to have open mana up at the end of each turn. So I guess unless they're playing a bunch of Boros guys, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. Crown Crown is unfortunately not... Hasn't been too meh so far. Yeah, I think I think it's fine. I, if, if it costs less, it would be way better just because you could sort of use a turn where you wouldn't normally do something super powerful and then it would pay you later. Yeah. But this is turn... This is a five drop. Like you can do pretty powerful stuff by the time you can cast five drops. And the fact that yeah, it's a four four flying haste, but then it might not even give you anything for you know a few turns. I don't know. Yeah, it just turns me off. I guess this counts as a combo. I guess with any card that says counter the first spell your opponent plays every turn or whatever. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. But you know that card is good enough anyway. Anything that's countering. <laughs> You know, you don't need help once you're countering the first spell everybody's playing every turn. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so let's take a look at the statistics at the deck. Now, this deck, uh, we usually do a nice breakdown that usually involves card draw, removal, counterspell, and board wipes. Uh, now, Wizards has done a great job this year with all of these categories. Before in the last pre-cons, they, they definitely lacked a little bit in terms of board wipes and stuff. So this deck has six card draw effects. However, it's very interesting because almost all of them are quote-unquote group hug effects. And what I mean by that are cards like Temple Bell, where you can tap it and each player draws a card. So it's cards where it is card draw, but everyone gets to benefit from it simultaneously. So it kind of equalizes itself out just based on the power level of the cards that you're drawing. Yeah, and I could see this too because your commander has card draw on it. So, you know, the reason you usually want 10 card draw spells is to make sure you draw one. Well, if your commander has it, then you always know you have access to one. So maybe having a few less is okay. Yeah, I I think by the end of this, I still want to add more in, however. Uh, There is eight ramp cards in here. Four of them are sorceries, like Kodama's Reach. Uh, And uh, one is a creature, and three, again, are group hugs. So these are cards that, uh, like Josh played one in the first game of our uh, videos where we played these decks where everyone could search out a land and you get to search out four lands or three lands depending on how many uh, opponents did it as well. Yeah, attempt with discovery. Yeah. Uh, there are five targeted removal spells, so that seems pretty good. There are two counter spells, and there are two board wipes. And to this, I was like, wait, two board wipes? If this is like a group hug deck where you're always going to be gaining advantage from drawing more cards than everyone else, board wipes seem like the best way to 
hug everyone a little too hard, if that makes sense. Because I think a group hug deck really wants to also play a lot of control. So I was surprised that this number was so low. Yeah, it seems fairly low. It seems like if you're going to be giving people extra cards, then they're going to be hitting their land drops. They're going to be playing a lot of stuff, and you're going to want to hit the reset button. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so the deck's really interesting. It definitely played the weakest out of the bunch, uh, and that was without question that it was not as strong as some of the other decks uh, because it goes in a lot of directions. Obviously, like, Kraum and Ludovic are not really, or even Sadar, don't seem to really mesh with what the Kaneos deck wants to do. Uh, so here are some other key categories. There are seven cards that prevent combat or do the pillow fort effect. So something like... Uh, propaganda or ghostly prison or windborne muse all these cards prevent players from attacking you or disincentivize them from attacking you yeah and very very strong cards cards uh i'm well known for being a proponent of um yeah and that might be a reason why they thought they could get away with less board wipes in here because uh, on some level propaganda kind of works like a board wipe in the it, meaning that uh you know it it stops creatures from hurting you. The problem is, especially in the format with all the precon decks, there's a prevalence of like big creatures. So there's Mana Gorger Hydra, there's Ishai, there's a few others like Consuming Apparition. And in that case, Propaganda, Ghostly Prison, stuff like that, they don't work great against like a couple of big creatures. What they work great against is a whole bunch of medium sized creatures. Yeah, and they quickly get worse as the game goes on because some can build up that creature, just send that one thing in, and your pillow really looks like a pillow fort at that point. Um, now, here's the biggest category, cards that involve every player. And I think that's the theme that Wizards want to, wanted to go with with this deck, Stalwart Unity, is that everyone gets to be involved as well. And there's 17 to 20-ish cards that are basically every player has... Um, a part in it. I didn't include... I, I, like, I say 17 to 20 because some cards are like Forbidden Orchard, where when you tap it for mana, an opponent creates a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token. So that's not necessarily every player, but it still has every player at the table. And I thought this was actually really interesting. I didn't really see this effect happen that often when you played it, Josh, considering that is a third of the playable cards in the deck. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I think there were... The, that game was a little bit interesting because the there was a Mana Gorger Hydra that was getting up towards like the 30-30 level, and so there just wasn't time to be playing. I definitely had a couple of cards that were like, everybody draws a bunch of cards, or you know I played the everybody puts lands into play spell. So there were some in my hand that I just couldn't play them because they weren't going to help me not die. Yeah, very interesting. And the final category are cards that care about card draw or how many cards you have in hand. Uh, considering there are six card draw, almost all of them are group hug effects, I think this is important to know. Because it kind of runs similar to what a Nekusar deck does, which is like, okay, everyone has cards in their hand. Is there anyone to gain advantage off this or punish them for it? And there are seven of those in the deck total. A Nekusar deck, but no black this time around. Yeah, it's interesting. No black makes it a lot tougher, though, because that's where Underworld Dreams and that and its ilk come from. Yeah. Um, so what does this tell us? It feels like the goal of the deck is to pillow for it. It has a lot of pillow for the effects. Uh, it wants to hold back damage and accrue slow value uh, from, I guess, some targeted removal, some card draw, and I guess eventually victory through something. I, I couldn't find a real win condition that was solid in this deck uh, for me. And I'm, I, it seemed like you couldn't really either, Josh, because you, you had to resort to a potential Rubble Hulk to win the game. Yeah, and I remember sitting during that game just not sure how I was going to win. And it's funny that I did have a chance to win, but it was mostly through 
political negotiation of me <laughs> of me like talking Craig out of killing me. Then you happen to kill him right after he kills Josh Kim. So I'm just sort of like standing there as, you know, the rubble has all fallen around me and I have like one chance, which I blew, by the way, to win. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm ruining the video for people. But uh, yeah, it, it was definitely, and I think Craig felt the same way. I remember him saying after um, the game where he played this deck where he was like, I played cards and, you know, I had things on the table, but it didn't feel like I, w I had a real good plan of, like, this is how I'm going to win. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, well, Group Hug itself, we'll spend more time in the future in an episode, I'm sure, to talk about it. But it's a form of EDH that none of us in our play group really, play group really have a solid understanding of because usually we're playing decks that have specific win conditions or are trying to do something very specific but group hug is one of those things that just doesn't happen very often because um, it kind of wants you to involve everyone it wants everyone to develop their boards kind of at the same time and it it should not care about winning but we're playing EDH we'd rather win over not winning and we're not in the business of trying to draw on purpose unless that's what you want to do so I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't really see many win conditions in this deck, unfortunately. Yeah, the closest I think we've seen to a true group hug deck was um, our friend Andy had a Zedru deck, and it would sort of get a bunch of stuff out and then give you things that had downsides. Um, and, it, and it was an okay deck, but it's not, even that's not group hug in the meaning of like it never tries to win. I I don't know. I think I think group hug decks usually do have win conditions and, and ways that they're going to win, and they're usually working towards them just sort of slyly. And, and usually everybody sort of knows, but they're just like, I can I can get my advantage from the group hug player and then get them out before that win condition comes out. So, yeah. you know, I, th I think you can be a group hug, deck, group hug deck and have a win condition. So hopefully we can help build that in. Yeah. All right. So ramp and card draw, these seem to be fairly good. A lot of the card draws focus on the Howling Mines and the Temple Bells. So the value that you get when you play the card is actually lower because you you make the card that creates the effect, but everyone else benefits from it. Um, usually you're able to capitalize it. These, this deck does not really do it very well. Uh, notably, there are zero signets in the deck. Uh, instead, it's foregoing it to sorcery base ramp instead, um, which makes sense because your commander itself ramps you every single turn if you're able to get them out in turn four or even three. Yeah, I still like signets, depending on how much two CMC ramp you've got. I mean... You're, you've got green, so you can do Farseek and Secure Tribe Elder and Nature's Lore and Rampant Growth, and maybe that's all you want. But I would try and have my CMC or my uh, ramp at two um, converted mana cost because I really would want to get my general out on turn three. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of a signet. Um, especially with these four color, four cost, four color commanders. Uh, so board yeah, exactly. wipes and targeted removal. Again, there was only two board wipes, and none of them were unconditional, like a Wrath of God. It was like a Blasphemous Act and another one that dealt damage to each creature deal equal to its power. So that doesn't even necessarily kill everything on the board. And again, this seems very low to me. This deck wants to, I think, control the board because it has all these prison-type effects, and those are only effective if you can like occasionally reset the board and keep those prison-type effects alive. Yeah, I might even skew towards... Um uh, evacuation stuff too because if if you've got stuff that cares about cards in opponents hands and things like that well then bouncing all the permanents back to their hand might be good and and usually decks like this they just mostly want to buy time that's what propaganda and ghostly prison do right they don't mean nobody can attack you they just mean when they it, it takes longer yeah yeah 
Um, the best cards that I think that come in the deck, one is Lurking Predators, which is a four green green enchantment whenever an opponent casts a spell. Reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, you may put that card on the bottom of your library. We've seen Craig use this card to incredible effect, especially when you're putting, packing in like very powerful creatures in your deck. Um, Lurking Predators just triggers all the time, and all of a sudden you're flipping Eldrazi on the battlefield, you're dumping out the Predators, uh, and it's pretty powerful. I, yeah, I'm that's glad a great card. Here. Um, Ghostly Prison and Windborn Muse, I think, are also some of the best cards, just because they're cards that you can put in any single deck that plays uh, those colors. Um, so it's nice to use for other decks as well. And then Sadar Kondo of Jamura, I also thought was a pretty good card. Um, not for this deck specifically, but I, I'm very excited to see this as a commander, as a partner in commander, because I think his ability is pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I think that there is definitely decks that want that card. Now, is, does this deck want this card? I don't know, but there are a lot of tokeny type decks that are like just looking for cards like that, which give them the ability to sort of attack when they wouldn't otherwise be able to. Yeah. Uh, another uh, category that I like is just the worst cards, and there are quite a few in here that are just pretty subpar. A Crow and Horus, uh, Evolutionary Escalation is a new enchantment, and Imperial Plate. These are all just very sort of basic magic cards that don't do that much unless your deck is entirely built to sort of capitalize on those effects. Otherwise, they just kind of feel like, oh, we're doing things for you and your opponents just to do it. Yeah, Evolutionary Escalation. So let me read it. It's one in a green for an enchantment. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, put three plus one plus one counters on target creature you control and three on target creature an opponent controls. <sighs> These cards, see. It's, gonna, it's an escalation. Look, it's a giant monkey with like claws fighting a, a boar thing. I just, I just don't understand what situations this is particularly good. Now, maybe it's never horrible, although it is, I don't know. I just, I read a card like this and I'm like, well, what's the situation where I'm really excited? And then once I get down to two player, this is horrible. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's especially, unless I'm playing a deck that's like dealing with creatures really, really well, like, I don't know, has a lot of pinpoint removal or something like that. I guess you have ghostly prisons and stuff, but like I said, that's not great. You, when you have ghostly prisons and propagandas, you don't want one of their creatures to be a 30-30. You want <laughs> all of their creatures to be 3-3s. Yeah, I, this card just kind of confuses me. And it does usually, like, Orzov Advocates is another new card that's in a couple of decks. And it says something like, if you do that, then creatures that player controls can attack you or a Planeswalker. And this doesn't seem to have any effect like that. It just seems pretty weak on the surface. Um, so, yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a few stinkers in the deck. Um, now, notable reprints, uh, Forbidden Orchard and Exotic Orchard, are two incredibly good lands for EDH. Um, and Oath of Druids as well is in here, which is a card that you don't really see too much in Commander, and I don't think it has been reprinted for a very long time either. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Forbidden Orchard and Exotic Orchard because they're just such a boon to four- and five-color decks, and uh, they did just reprint Exotic Orchard, but that's great because we're going to need a lot of them here coming up for all these four-color decks. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so out of the box... Josh obviously has the most experience with this. Uh, the deck seems like it has a game plan, but it just feels and looks weak overall. Uh, there's a bunch of cards that can have a high impact and involve a lot of players, but the control aspect isn't there, and the things that involve everyone sort of escalate everyone at the same speed, and then when you get there, well, you're still not doing anything powerful, and it seems like all the other decks would be able to. Um, 
I don't think any of the partnered pairs for this deck work really well together, especially um, as like a lot of the cards even want to kind of go against what Sadar is doing. Uh, but the deck doesn't seem like super well set up to abuse Kaneos and Tyrios effects. So otherwise, like the deck is fine, but it just doesn't have much punch. Yeah, I think the deck, what happens is you start and you're playing and it feels fine and then you get to around six, seven, eight, and you're not like completely out of it. It's just, it starts feeling at that point like everybody else starts doing pretty powerful things and you're still doing similar to what you were on turn, you know, four and five. And so the game can just kind of get away from you in that, in that respect. Yep. So group hug to me personally means you have a lot of choices and you know how to balance stuff out. Like if someone gets out of control, you can be like, I'm going to get rid of your stuff and get rid of this and be fine. Uh, so like you're, you're like the one that's making sure everyone gets a chance to play. So that also means to me that at a certain point you hug so tight that you squeeze them all to death. So there needs to be some inevitability. So let's talk about cards that I would add to the deck and cards I would take away. Um, this first one, I'm not even sure if it is 100% the card I would add, but it seems like a good deck for Perplexing Chimera. It's one of your favorite <laughs> cards. I love this card. Uh, it's, it's really good. Um, the thing about Perplexing Chimera is you want to be able to blink it in some way and sort of get it back, but, I mean, maybe this deck wouldn't care as much because it's doing so much for other people. So, well, let me read it. It's four and a blue, Enchantment Creature Chimera. It's a 3-3. Three, three. It says, whenever an opponent casts a spell, you may exchange control of Perplexing Chimera and that spell. If you do, you may choose new targets for the spell. Um, if the spell becomes a permanent, you control that permanent. So that sounds a little confusing, but they cast a spell. You have Perplexing Chimera out on the battlefield. And if you choose to, you can be like, you know what? Whatever spell you're casting, I'll take that, and you get a Perplexing Chimera, and you get this Perplexing Chimera. And that means that you cast their spell, um, and you get to keep it if it's a creature or, or a permanent or something. But now they have a Perplexing Chimera, and so the next spell somebody else casts, they can use the Perplexing Chimera to spelljack that spell. Yeah, and so, so on. <laughs> it's, it gets pretty chaotic. I figured this would be good in, in this deck just because everyone is always doing stuff. And this sort of incentivizes the people to play the cards that they're all drawing off of the Howling Mine. And hopefully you have enough of a wall built up. And also, if someone exchanges control between the Perplexing, Perplexing Chimera and the Board Wipe, you still get a Board Wipe. Yeah, that's true. And, and Perplexing Chimera, when you don't blink, it has a weird effect of making people not play their like big spells, right? Because you don't want to cast, I don't know... Insurrection or go to or an entwined or a, or a tooth and nail or, or whatever because someone's going to perplexing chimera it. So you end up going like, well, I can only play the things where I don't mind too much if they perplexing chimera it. And then, you know, you hope you get the perplexing chimera and then you can throw your haymaker. And so it has the effect of slowing down the game, which is maybe what the group hug de deck wants. Yeah. Uh, other cards I would add under sort of the control category would be just board wipes. So Wrath of God. Austere Command and Vandal Blast are very efficient board wipes for what they do. Vandal Blast can get rid of every artifact. Austere Command can choose very specific things. Um, I'll, I'll just read it because this is like by far, I think, one of the best board wipes in EDH. Uh, Austere Command is four white white for a six mana sorcery. You can choose two. You can either destroy all artifacts, you can either destroy all enchantments, or you can destroy all creatures with CMC three or less, or destroy all creatures with CMC four or greater. So you can pretty much either get rid of all creatures or all artifacts and enchantments and, and mix and match, but it's super flexible. I think it's exactly what this deck needs. It's just more ways to affect the board in a big way 
especially if you're putting out a bunch of lands and people are using those play stuff, Austere Command just really cleans the board out, and you're at an advantage because you've been ramping a lot more than everyone else. And you can almost always play Austere Command in some way where you get some advantage, where it doesn't hurt you as much as everybody else. Like, maybe you've got more smaller creatures than everybody, so you just blow away the big ones and the enchantments. Yeah. You know, maybe you've got more artifacts than everybody else, so you don't you don't destroy those. Um, yeah. Uh, we always talk about versatility. This is a, a versatile card that's also, like, really good at just destroying all the creatures. Yeah. Uh, another card that I thought might be interesting to put in here is a new card, actually, from Kaladesh. It's called Authority of the Consoles. It's just a one-white enchantment that says creatures your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped, and whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, you gain one life. So it's one of those cards that just sits there and slows the whole game down, and all of a sudden you're at 86 life for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I like cards like this, Blind Obedience type cards. I think there's only room for maybe one or two of these type of effects in your entire deck, but there is usually room for at least one. This is a pretty good version of it, too. Um, again, it stops all the infinite combo shenanigans of make infinite creatures because they can't attack with them because they come into play tapped. Um, and the life gain's nice, too. I, I could see this. Yeah, I would like that. And finally, under the control aspect is one of my favorite creatures, it's on the slightly pricier side, but I think it's kind of one of the win cons of the decks, which is Jin Kataxius, Core Augur. Oh, boy. Eight blue, blue, ten mana flash, five, four, legendary Praetor. At the beginning of your end step, draw seven cards. So that's already good with your commander. And each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by seven, so it kind of houses the effect that you're giving everyone else. Uh, this seems like one of the best ways to just say, like, all right, Jin Kataxius has come down, discard your hand, the person right before me or whatever, because it has flash. And now the my full control begins. Yeah, it's this card's amazing. I mean, if you ever get it out and it sticks around for very long at all, you're going to win. Uh, it also works pretty well with lurking predators, just because you know yep. getting getting a ten drop off of lurking predators is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, for card draw, I figured this needs a little bit. I mean, like already there's a lot of card draw in this deck, so you don't really need a ton. But hey, why not throw Ristic Study in there? If you can cast Ristic Study, it should be in your deck. Yeah, and it's also kind of controlling, too, because it makes everyone tap more mana for their spells, so this definitely helps you out as well. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and then another card, if you want to go more of the group huggy route, would be Heartwood Storyteller, which is one green-green for a three-mana tree folk, two-three. Whenever a player casts a non-creature spell, each of that player's opponents may draw a card. So it's a way to have everyone also accrue value off of their spells. So if, there, if there's, like, a perplexing chimera and this on the battlefield, people are just going to be going... Nuts being like, well, I guess I'll just cast a soul ring or a signet. I don't know what I want my opponents to have, but I get a draw card when they do. <laughs> they take it back. Yeah, this seems like a cool card. I don't think I've ever actually seen it in play in a game of Commander, but it this would be the deck for it for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, now, win conditions, and Josh, please feel free to chime in here because my win conditions for a deck like this are either mill everyone out or just kill everyone with a big creature. So one of my cards I suggest is bribery. Three blue, blue. Search target opponent's library for a creature card and put that card onto the battlefield under your control. Then that player shuffles his or her library. So uh, you're just, you know, it's as group huggy as it gets. You didn't kill them. You know, that person's uh, Ulamog did. Yeah, I like, uh, bribery is usually great too because um, Jason Alt talks about this. It's very 75%. I think we had a listener ask about 75% theory. I'll explain it really quick. It's just the idea that you don't 100% tune your deck. You tune it to somewhere around 75% of its full potential. And then at that amount, it doesn't just crush 
the sort of weaker decks that people play, but it also has a chance against the very strong decks. It has a puncher's chance. So um, the theory behind effects like this for 75% is that bribery can't create anything more powerful than your opponent's deck can create because it's literally stealing stuff from their deck. Yeah, which is kind of fun. I mean, it's like, hey, I did it. I killed them with their thing. It's a lot of fun. And people, I mean, it's hard for people to get really angry about this too. You know, and and these these types of cards are good in decks like this because you are biding time and trying to get a lot of lands out. And I might even just go all the way up to Blatant Thievery, which is basically uh, bribery for everybody. Yeah, take a lot of stuff, and you're going to have a lot of lands in play thanks to your commander. So Yeah. Um, there's also Gahiji, Honored One, because I was like, hey, we have red in here. Why not? He's two red, green, white Naya for whenever uh, a five-drop 4-4 four, four beast. Whenever a creature attacks one of your opponents or a planeswalker in opponent controls, that creature gets plus two, plus O oh, until end of turn. Just one of those awesome, hey, if you're going to play a group hug deck, make your opponents attack each other. Great. Yeah, this is a really good card, uh, especially if you were going to go with a few tokens or something else, because it will pump your creatures too. Yeah, and it will make them huge. And it's nice. That the Planeswalker bonus, I think, is actually pretty nice too. Um, now, here's a deck that, when I was looking up group hug decks, ended up in a lot of people's decks as their win condition, which is Forced Fruition. Four blue, blue, and enchantment. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, that player draws seven cards. Yeah, this is like... So this is sort of Turbo Mill idea because you're going to be like they cast a spell draw seven cards they can't do that very many times before they don't have any cards in their deck yeah not to mention they're gonna have to pitch a lot of those cards as well so it's they get a new seven which is awesome but if they cast three spells in their turn they're gonna draw 21 cards out of their deck or whatever you know so that's a quick way for them to get milled out um vicious shadows is another win condition six in the red for an enchantment Whenever a creature dies, you may have Vicious Shadows deal damage to target player equal to the number of cards in that player's hand. So this is a deck where you're making everyone draw a lot of cards, board wiping a lot. Vicious Shadows, I think, is one of those ways to just finish everyone off uh, very quickly. Yeah, see, I like this win condition quite a bit, although it will be pretty bad against decks that don't have a lot of creatures. But most decks have some amount, and yeah, this could really this could be a cool way to win, I think, for a group hug deck. Here's a bunch of cards. And you're not going to actually take damage for drawing them, you know, each time you draw. I'm just going to, you're going to take damage from your creatures for having cards. Like, it's a weird way, but I think it's cool. Yeah, I could see you setting this up, right, by playing a Perplexing Chimera. Everyone just kind of plays derpy, not huge creatures, and they're holding on to big hands, and then you manage to get something Vicious Shadows out with your Howling Mind. Everyone has big hands, and then you just board wipe, and everyone takes 20 simultaneously or something. Yeah, that seems pretty cool. Um, and finally, another win condition for a deck like this would be something like Divine Intervention. And you very specifically need to be doing this. to This is your goal, then this is your goal. Uh, enters the battlefield with two intervention counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, you remove an intervention counter, and when you remove the last one, the game is a draw. <laughs> this is... Um, didn't uh, Wedge say this was in his uh, Angus McKenzie deck? I think it's, it's hilarious like, if it is. Fog, 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 draw. <laughs> Yeah, fuck, 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 and we're good. Pretty silly card. Um, this is like trolling, but it's why not? super <laughs> trolling. Like, play this. Uh, I mean, if you want to do this, then go for it. I'm just giving you guys the options of just sort of some win conditions that these group hug decks have. Um, and my why not category, uh, I like this category a lot. You had this last time for Leovold. Um, but my why not is just mass land destruction. Why not? <laughs> 
Why not? Everyone's drawing uh, a bunch of cards. You get to put if you do LMLD, you get to ramp faster than everyone else. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a way to go. Or maybe like um, you know, maybe the strategy of turn all your lands into creatures, and then or maybe everybody's lands into creatures, and then like Elishnorn. Yeah. Uh, people do that thing where they play Living Plane, which is a world enchantment. Uh, it says all lands are 1-1 one, one creatures that are still lands. And then they play Elishnorn, so then all your opponent's lands die and all yours are 3-3s. Three that kind of thing, is a, it might be a good way to go. I mean, you're putting a lot of lands into play because presumably your opponents are doing some combination of drawing cards and dropping lands, but you're doing both, so you're just going to have more lands in play than them. So leveraging that into a win might be a possibility. Just like somehow, all my lands are guys now, attack you. Yeah, and you said something earlier in this episode that made me smack my head and think, gosh, why didn't I think of that? Which is, you have a bunch of cards that ramp out lands and sometimes let you get four lands for their one. Why not just add a bunch of sweet utility lands in here too? Because it'd be awesome to, add, at end of turn, be like, oh, I'll put my Maze of Ith into play as well. So you get to play two lands in one turn, if that makes sense. And one of them is a sweet Maze of Ith, you know? So, like, there's a lot of lands also like, oh, end of turn, I'll play this tap land because I wasn't going to be able to use it for mana anyway. So mm-hmm. I feel like having a bunch of really cool utility lands would be an interesting way to go with this as well, um, especially if we wanted to build the old Crucible strip mine package. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you might want to. Um, also, like Glacial Chasm is a great one for a deck like this. You're already trying to pillow for it a little bit. Yeah, very interesting stuff indeed. All right, so that is our overview of the Kaneos and Tiro deck. Now, to the listeners, did we forget anything, or is there a group hug strategy that we haven't talked about that you employ above all else that you think works and is awesome. I'd love to hear it because we are woefully uneducated about group hug, really. Yeah, I would say that of all the archetypes, group hug is the one we are the least familiar with. Our, our playgroup doesn't have much of it. Like I said, maybe one deck. My Nekusar deck has a, some elements, but it's definitely not group huggy. Like it's, it, everybody, <laughs> everybody knows. Nobody sits there and goes, oh, that's that deck's just going to help me. Um, so I'd be interested to see what people think. Again, if you go to the show notes, you will see that Jimmy has done a full list of cards to add and cards to take out for a quick upgrade of this deck. So if you're looking for just open the box, tune it up just a little bit really quick so that it's it's better than it is and then and be able to play it right away, uh, that's a good place to go to check. Yeah, and if you want to add those cards in or if you guys recommend cards that I want to add in, I'm for sure going to go to cardkingdom.com slash commandzone, who is our sponsor for the show. So make sure you guys check it out to use the affiliate link if you guys are going to buy any singles. Uh, we're going to be mentioning a lot of them in the next uh, two episodes and the three two episodes behind this one. So all your C16 needs, just make sure you guys use our affiliate link, which is cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. You know, somebody else who is sponsored by Card Kingdom now because we're under the same roof is The Professor. And I should do a shout-out that I did a video uh, last week. Uh, You were in it also, Jimmy, for The Professor's channel. Yeah. Um, Helped out with the four-color mana basis episode, and a lot of listeners have been asking us about that. I think we'll probably do an episode uh, going in-depth on on that kind of thing, but The Professor's video does cover a lot of it. So if you go to uh, his YouTube channel, I'm sure you all know it. It's Tolarian Community College. You can see the four-color mana base episode, and uh, you can definitely find your friends from the Command Zone on that video. Uh, I get made fun of a little bit. Prof get made fun of a little bit. Jimmy 
remains unscathed somehow. <laughs> yeah, somehow make it out alive. Uh, uh, and also, definitely check out our out-of-the-box Commander 2016 uh, gameplay video that we just recently did. Again, we plugged it at the top of the show, but I think it turned out pretty cool. We'd love to know what you think about it and if you think we should do more stuff like that in the future. I hope the answer is yes. I sort of hope the answer is no because it's a lot of work, but it oh. did turn out cool. <laughs> it did turn out cool. Yeah, Josh Power edited this thing, by the way. He We shot it on... Tuesday, and he had it out by Friday, so that's, whew, boy, I mean, you're a professional for a reason. Yeah, I don't want to do that again, though. We need more time next time. <laughs> yeah, good point. All right. Okay, now it's time for the end step, where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. This did touch on magic. Uh, it was something Jimmy and I did, but it's it's still outside the world of magic. Certainly. Uh, this last Friday, we went to Riot Games here in Santa Monica, California, and we joined their Extra Life 24-hour stream. Uh, we were there with our friend Andy Belford, and we, uh, I, I, well, it's about to happen, so I guess we sat there and commentated Magic the Gathering for you folks. Yep, uh, but it's really about the Extra Life charity, and, and that's sort of the important thing, and the stream will be over by the time you're hearing this, but Extra Life won't be over, and it'll never be over because there's always going to be a need for this type of charity. Yeah, it's super great. Um, it's all about benefiting Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. It's all on Twitch as well. So far, as of this podcast recording, they have raised $6.6 million in this year's uh, fundraising alone. So you'll see people like Giant Bomb joining. You'll see people like Rooster Teeth. You'll see people like Wizards of the Coast doing this as well. Um, and Greg Miller and those guys. And they're all raising money together for uh, Extra Life. So if you guys haven't checked it out, you can go to extra-life.org. It's probably one of the best and I suppose relevant uh, charities that you can donate to as a gamer. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, we shouldn't need any type of excuse to just help out sick kids, but it's it's cool that the, you know you help them out through gaming also. Yeah, certainly. All right. Oof, that's it. We did it. Goodbye, Kanaeus. We did it. <laughs> Goodbye, Kanaeus. Uh, make sure you tune in next week. We're going to talk about the final two decks. Also, make sure that you tune in to the Masters of Modern podcast, our sister podcast. Uh, they exist right alongside us at our new sort of website slash hub, which is collected.company. If you go there, you can find all the episodes for both our casts. Again, this is something that we're just starting. We've got big plans for it. We're not ready to announce them yet, but when we do, yeah, you're going to want to know about it. So, Start visiting that site now. You can find the Masters of Modern on Twitter at the MMCast. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, they talk about modern format and all things competitive magic. Our editor for the show is Terry Robertson, who does the awesome video versions of the show. So make sure you check that out at youtube.com slash the Command Zone podcast. We talk about a lot of new cards in the episode, and you can see all of them come up on the screen as we talk about them. And also special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, as always, for the living card animations that adorn our video podcast. So again, check that out. And you can follow Jeffrey on Twitter at livingcardsmpg. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>